Good morning. It's so good to see you here today. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn together to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We have been studying the Lord's Prayer and learning how to pray. And uh, we have found out that the Lord's Prayer is a life-changing prayer. It's not to be meaninglessly recited. In fact, right before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, don't pray like the pagans do, with empty repetitions, with vain empty repetitions, but rather you ought to pray in this way. Ironically, the Lord's Prayer may be one of the most emptily recited prayers ever, but when you pray the Lord's Prayer, when you know what you're praying and what it means and the implications of it, this is a life-changing prayer. And then we've also found out that, that this, this is a, a pattern for our praying. Uh, Jesus didn't say pray this, he said pray thus, pray in this way. And we said that this is a blueprint for our praying, that we can pattern our prayer lives after this, this perfect prayer. And as a master plan, the Lord's Prayer is a masterpiece. It is, it's, it's perfect. You really can't add to it. I cannot think of a prayer request that would not fall into one of these six petitions. I mean, it, it's all there somewhere in one of these facets. Anything you could come to the Lord with, it falls into one of these six petitions. It's just that perfect. It is, it is a model prayer, a perfect prayer. It's the Lord's prayer. So let's just kind of see where we've been. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. We've talked about the paternity of prayer. He is our heavenly father. And how that is true. We talked about how he's our father and what that means for us as believers to know him as our heavenly father. Hallowed be your name. There's the priority of prayer. We talked about that, that the priority of our praying, the priority of our lives should be the glory of God. Have that his name would be lifted up, magnified, glorified, and honored in us, through us, with us, around us. Uh, we want him magnified and glorified. Your kingdom come. There's the program of prayer. That God's reign and rule would be manifested in our lives and in the church. We're praying for the salvation of the lost, the surrender of the saved. We're praying for the return of our Savior. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the, the plan of prayer. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. We want God's perfect will accomplished in our lives and, and, and on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. There's the provision of prayer. Praying that God would meet our needs and supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's the pardon of prayer. Uh, asking that God would forgive our sins, that we would be in right fellowship with him and in fellowship with others as we forgive our debtors. And now today we come to the protection of prayer. The sixth petition, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what are we praying when we ask that? That request, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, let me throw some mud in the water. <laughs> in uh, James 1.13, it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. All right, now hang on a minute. Why do I need to pray, Lord, don't lead me into temptation if God's not going to lead me into temptation in the first place? Ah, well, we've already seen with the other petitions, there's more here than meets the eye. And we need to slow down, take a deep breath, 
Compare Scripture with Scripture and take a closer look. And we're going to start with that word, temptation. Lead us not into temptation. That word temptation translates the Greek word perosmos. And so if you have your bulletin, there's that listening guide on the back panel. I put that on your outline for kicks and giggles, <laughs> perosmos. You need to know that that word perosmos is used in the New Testament in two ways. One way it is used refers to an attempt to, to learn the nature or the character of something. Think in terms of a trial, a test. Actually, this word is used outside of the New Testament to refer to a medical experiment. So it, it's an attempt to, to learn what something is made of or the character of someone. What is this thing or this person like? So a trial or a test. The other way this word is used in the New Testament is, is an attempt to get somebody to do something wrong, an enticement to evil, or in the classic sense, a temptation. So this word is used in both of those ways in the New Testament, and you need the context to tell you which way it's being used. What, what's in view? Is it, is it definition A or definition 2? And you need the context. Well, as we come to the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which is it? Are we talking about trials, a test, or are we talking about a temptation? Now, I can tell you that there are some writers who would say, no, it's not temptation, it's a trial. It's door number one, it's a trial. And then there are other writers who say, no, 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 it's not a trial, it's a temptation. <laughs> it's door number two. I would submit to you, it's both. That the Lord knowingly and deliberately chose a word that has a double connotation. That he chose a word that, that, that can be used in both ways. And that at the end of the day, this is a knife that cuts in both directions. And that both may be in view. And so let's, let's break it down. Today, we're going to deal with the first, the first meaning, the first definition, and attempt to discern the, the nature of the character of something. So let's look at it in terms of trials and testings today. And then we'll come back next week and we'll look at the implications and applications of the temptation side of the equation. So let's take a look at trials this morning, trials and tests. Uh, as that's in view. Now, I didn't have room to put this on the outline. The, the outline was just too big. So there, I ran out of room, but this is worth writing down. God does not tempt us, but he does test us. God does not tempt us. I didn't make that up. That's James 1.13. Just read it to you. God does not tempt us with sin. Sin is contrary to God. It's contrary to his nature. It's antithetical to who he is and what he is. Christ died for our sins. So God's not going to tempt us to sin. He's not going to lead us in any direction toward sin. God does not tempt us. But make no mistake about it, God does test us. He tests his people. Let me give you some examples. In Genesis 22, God tested Abraham. It says this, that God tested Abraham. And you remember the story, God commanded Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, kill your son and give him to me. And, and Abraham was willing to do it, ready to do it. At the last moment, the Lord stopped him. And it says this in Genesis twenty two twelve. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God tested Abraham. God tested the people of Israel. In Exodus 16, 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Remember the manna we talked about? Give us this day our daily bread. We talked about manna in the Old Testament. That's what he's talking about. The Lord was testing. Deuteronomy 8, 
Moses told the people of Israel, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Deuteronomy 8.16, in the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Second Chronicles 32, God tested Hezekiah that he might know all that was in his heart. In John chapter 6, Jesus tested Philip. It says this in John, in six, John 6, 5. Lifting up his eyes, Jesus lifting up his eyes, seeing a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. It was a test. Here comes a big old crowd. Hey, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? Lord already knew what he was going to do. Just a test, testing Philip. How are we going to feed all these people? God tests us. So God will use trials and difficulties and circumstances and situations and crises and people and relationships. He uses all kinds of things to test his people, to see what we're made of, to test our faith, to mature us in our faith, to prepare us for ministry and, and so forth. So we're going to see some of the ways God uses trials here in a moment. Now that leads us to the sources of trials, to the sources of trials. Not all trials come from God. Not all trials come from God, but our sovereign God can use any and all trials for his sovereign purposes. And we saw when we talked about the Lord's will, we said that God has a, 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 a sovereign will and then he has a permissive will. And, and we said that nothing comes into a believer's life that doesn't get through God first. It may not come from God, but it has to get by God to get to me. I'm his child. So nothing comes into my life as a child of God that doesn't get by God first of all. That said, there are four sources of trials. One, God himself. Some of our trials do come from the Lord. And I just read you some examples of that. God tested Abraham. It just it came from the hand of the Lord. So some trials come from the Lord. God allows all trials and God engineers some trials. Secondly, we have the world. Some of our trials come from the world. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be there most of the morning now. 1 Peter, back and forth at various places in 1 Peter. But in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. So some of our suffering, some of our trials come from the world. And part of that worldly some part of those worldly trials is just part of living in a fallen world. It's just life. You know, the Bible says man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. In other words, life is short and life is hard. I mean, that's just life in a fallen world. But some of those worldly trials come from the world's hostility toward God. Satan is the God of this world, and this world hates God, hates Christ, and hates all things holy, hates the people of God. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 that he served the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials, which came from the, the, through the plots of the Jews. This world hates God and hates God's people. Paul said all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before I hated you. So some of our trials come from the world, just life in a fallen world, our life as God's people in a world that hates God. Thirdly, some of our trials come from our own bad decisions. We do it to ourselves. <laughs> Self-inflicted pain. Our own bad decisions. Jeremiah 2.19 says your own wickedness will correct you. Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. And if you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. So many of the trials and griefs and heartaches in our lives are self-inflicted. We did it to ourselves. But even then, God can use those self-inflicted trials for his purposes. And uh, one of the things we need to do is learn from our mistakes. We need to recognize I, I made a dumb decision. <laughs> what I did was dumb. It was wrong. It was, it was harmful. And I, and I recognize it. I confess my sin and I learn from my mistakes. And praise the Lord how God's going to use this in my life. But our own bad decisions. And then... The devil. Some of our trials come from the devil. In 1 Peter 5, in verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So some of our trials originate with Satan himself. But now here's the good news. Satan is like a dog on a chain. And he can only do to a child of God what God allows him to do. He can bark, he might even bite, but he's on a leash. He's on a chain. Case in point, Job. You remember the story of Job? You go back and read Job 1 and 2. Job, uh, Satan accused God of buying Job's faith and buying Job's worship. Satan accused Job of worshiping God for what he could get out of God. And so God agreed to a, a test. Let's just have a trial. Let's have a test. You can touch him. You can touch whatever he has, but you can't touch Job. God set the parameters. He let out the chain. This is only as far as you can go. And so Satan attacked everything that Job had. Job lost everything that was precious to him and good all in one terrible, awful day. But Job passed the test. He didn't curse God. He worshiped the Lord. He passed the test. So Satan comes back to the Lord and says, yeah, 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 so far so good. But that was the easy part. Skin for skin. You touch his body, oh, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, okay, you can touch his body, but you can't kill him. You're not allowed to kill him. There again, God, God determined the limits. And so that takes us into the rest of the story of Job. So even, even when it is a satanic trial, God is sovereign and God sets the limits. Now, sometimes we know where that trial is coming from. Sometimes we don't. Especially if it's, well, you did it. I mean, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer. I can't blame God, can't blame the devil. It's all me. I, this was dumb. I did it to myself. But sometimes you don't know. Is this the Lord? Is this the devil? Is this the world? Why is this happening to me? You may not know why. But here's the good news. Whatever the source, whether it's your own handiwork or it comes from the devil or it's from the hand of God or it's just life in the world or it's a persecution, whatever the source, our God is so big and so sovereign, he causes all things to work together for good to them that love him and who are the called according to his purpose. He uses those trials. So he uses all trials. He engineers some trials. So those are the sources of trials. Now let's take a look at the results of trials. How does God use trials in our lives? You're in 1 Peter. Make one left-hand turn to the book of James. And let's go to James chapter 1. And I want you to see... 
the good that God works in our trials. In James 1 and verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That's our word, perosmos, various trials. Consider it all joy when you encounter, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Let me show you three results of trials right here in these verses. One, endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. Sometimes it's translated patience, but that's a weak translation um, or, 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 or a passive endurance. This isn't just patience or a passive endurance. Well, we just have to get through this. We just have to survive. No, that's not this. The testing of your faith produces an endurance. It's an active endurance, a steadfastness, a perseverance. Think of a, a boxer going into a boxing ring, into a boxing match. He doesn't go into the ring thinking, I just have to survive 15 rounds and I'll be okay. <laughs> now that's how I would think. I mean, if I got into a boxing round, don't let him hit me. Don't let, I just run in circles. You know, Don't let him hit me and uh, just stay alive. But that's not how a boxer approaches it. A boxer goes into a ring and if he's got any kind of a, a worthy opponent at all, he knows, man, this is going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight and, and it's going to be bloody and it's going to be exhausting and I'm going to take some licks, but I'm going to give more than I get. And that guy's going down. You know, eye of the tiger. He is going down. And it's going to take some endurance, some perseverance, some stamina, some strength, but he's going to win in the end. That's the testing of your faith produces endurance. That, that's the idea. And then maturity. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect. And there it doesn't mean flawless or sinless perfection, but it speaks of maturity. Of, of reaching a goal or uh, fulfilling a, a rightful purpose. So it speaks of maturity and integrity. Though, so that you may be perfect and complete, endurance and maturity, and, and made complete, lacking in nothing. Literally, all the portions whole. So being complete, meeting expectations, nothing is deficient, a, a fully formed integrity and faith. that Everything's intact. So those are three results. Now let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Just turn, turn right. 1 Peter 1 and verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. We can admit trials are stressful. They are distressing. They're trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God uses trials to refine our faith. So here's the result, a refined faith, a purified faith. And the image here is of a, of a refiner taking gold or some other precious metal and he, and he puts it over the fire, turns up the heat and he burns off the dross and the impurities. And that's what, is how God uses trials in our lives to, to, to purify our faith and to remove the impurities and so forth. There's, there's an old saying, a faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. A faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. As you go through trials, your faith is purified and strengthened and so forth. And then a heavenly perspective. God uses trials to develop a heavenly perspective. Move back up to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we go back to chapter 4. We read a moment ago. To the degree that you keep sharing, this is chapter 4 and verse 13. Keep on rejoicing so that the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. God uses trials to develop within us a heavenly perspective. It helps us to break our attachment to this world and to get attached to his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Oh, how we need to be reminded this world is not our home. It's not supposed to be our home. Our treasure is not supposed to be here. This world's not our home. This world system. Jesus said, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world because he's called us out of the world. And while we're here, we're pilgrims, we're strangers, we're aliens, we're sojourners. We don't belong here. We don't fit in here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our heart is in heaven. Our treasure is in heaven. Our Lord is in heaven. Everything's in heaven. That's, that's our home. Our inheritance is reserved in heaven for us. Now, let me ask you a question. Who do you think longs for heaven more? The person who has life on easy street, man, it's just it's soft and comfortable and, and life is easy going and they got life by the tail. They have it made. Or the person who goes after trial, after trial, after trial, after trial. Yeah. That anticipation of heaven is sweetest for the one who suffers the most. So it helps us develop that heavenly perspective. Thy kingdom come. And then he uses trials to prepare us as well. There's a preparation. First Peter chapter five and verse 10. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That word perfect, it's different from the word that James used, that you might be perfect. It's a different word from that. Here it means to restore, to put in proper condition, to make complete. So God uses trials to restore us to train us and prepare us. That's, that's perfecting us, to prepare us. Um, I like the old saying, God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. I like that. God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you, and he uses trials to prepare you. So he will perfect you. He will confirm you. So here you are confirmed, inwardly committed, resolved, strengthened. And then he says he, he will strengthen you. You'll be made strong. That The strongest steel is that which has been tempered by the fire. And he will establish you. That provides a, a secure basis for inner life to, to lay a foundation, a firm foundation. The person who has been through some stuff with God and learned God's lessons has a, has a foundation. They are, they are unshakable. And I've known some folks like that through the years, haven't you? I've known some men and women of God who have gone through some stuff with God and they have learned God's lessons and they can't be shaken. They're just rock solid. And, and they get to a point where, you know, it doesn't matter what comes next. It doesn't matter what storm's coming after. It, it doesn't matter what life throws at them. Their faith in the Lord is already strong and it just gets stronger. And their love for the Lord is already deep and it just gets deeper. I mean, they just they just get better and better, stronger and stronger. They are unshakable. On the other hand, I've known some folks through the years, a gentle breeze and they fold up like a lawn chair. I mean, it just doesn't take anything till they, they just fall, they fall to pieces. 
somebody else's bad news. It's not even their bad news. Somebody else's bad news. And they go into a tailspin and they can't recover and they crash and burn. No foundation, no strength, and, and so forth. Nope. One of the results of trials, God himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, that's pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? Look at how God uses trials. Wherever it's coming from, whatever the source, endurance, maturity, com to be made complete, a refined faith, purified faith, heavenly perspective, preparation, training, confirmation, strengthen, established. Man, sign me up. <laughs> I want some of that, don't you? That sounds good. Lord, let me have some trials. No wonder James can say, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. Peter can say, in this you greatly rejoice. Man, this is awesome stuff. Where do I sign up? Oh, not so fast. Jesus said, here's how you better pray. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You don't go asking for trials. Don't go looking for trials. <laughs> They're going to come anyway. Don't go looking. Instead, we ought to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Now, why would we pray that? Because of the risk of trials. And here's your outline. The risk of any test is failure. That's, that's, the, that's the very nature of a test. You might pass the test. You might fail the test. The risk of any test is failure. And as we go through the test, and if we, if we go through the test well, if, if we weather the storm well, man, there's some good things that God will accomplish, that maturity and completeness and strengthening and refined faith. Good things can happen. But what if you don't go through the test well? What if you flounder and falter and, and falter in your faith and you end up disobeying and dishonoring the Lord? Instead of being strengthened and established in your faith, you may you may become angry and bitter at God. Have you ever known somebody like that? I don't see why a loving God, how a loving God could let that happen to, to my loved one. And now they're bitter at God, angry at God for, for whatever, whatever they think God did or allowed. Or you could end up disillusioned. Well, I used to serve the Lord, but here's how I was treated. And you know what? Life's too short and I don't need all that. And, and I don't fool with that anymore. You can have it. Disillusionment. You could fall into self-pity and depression. Oh, woe is me. You just don't know what I've been through. You know, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Poor, pitiful me. Didn't come through the test very well. So knowing the, the risk of trials, we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the sense we are praying, Lord, don't let the trials of life get so severe that I fail. Lord, protect me. I can rejoice. I can greatly rejoice. I, I can consider it all joy knowing, Lord, you're going to use these trials in my life. You're going to use this storm to help me, strengthen me, mature me, to refine me. You're going to accomplish some good things. But, Lord, I also know whew, I'm, I'm, dust. I'm dust. I am dust. And my heart is deceitful above all else, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Lord, I need you to protect me. Don't let the trial get so severe that I fail. Or in the sense of temptation, don't let the temptation get away from me. Lord, help me. So here's two, two takeaways I want, you to, I want you to have. We pray, and we'll come back and look at the temptation side next week, but two takeaways. We pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because we are completely dependent upon God for spiritual victory. We are completely dependent on God for spiritual victory. Now, we already saw we're completely dependent on God for our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We need God every day for everything, all the time. 
From the bread we eat to the food, uh, to the food we eat, to the water we drink, to the clothes on our back, the roof over our head, the job he, he gives us, our health. I mean, we need God every day for everything. We are completely, continually dependent on God for the necessities of life. We are completely dependent on God for the forgiveness of sin. We have all sinned against God. We are all criminals in his court of law. We are all condemned in our sins. And we all desperately need God's grace and his mercy. You don't want, you don't want justice. <laughs> you don't want what you deserve from God. You want grace and mercy and the forgiveness of sin. We are completely dependent on God for grace and mercy and the forgiveness of sin. And we are completely dependent on God for spiritual victory. Whether it's going through a trial of difficult circumstances, or facing a temptation to sin, ooh, I need the Lord. We are completely dependent on God for spiritual victory. Here's the other takeaway. As I face trials and temptations, I am afraid of failure and resulting sin. I pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, because I am afraid of failure and resulting sin. Go back to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. He's my heavenly Father, my Abba, Father in heaven. I don't want to dishonor him or disobey him. Hallowed be thy name. I, I want to bring glory and honor to his name any way possible. Whether alive or dead, I, I want to be pleasing to him, as Paul said. I, I, want, I want God glorified in me, whether by life or by death. I don't want to dishonor his name. Thy kingdom come. I want his kingdom. I want his reign and rule manifested in my life. The surrender of the saved. And then uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I, I want his will accomplished in my life. Not my will be done, but his will be done in me. He is my faithful provider who meets all my needs. He, is, he, he has forgiven all my sins. And all that just means I love him. And I don't want to do anything to dishonor him or disobey him. And so as I go through a trial, oh, Lord, help me. Don't let the trial get so severe that I, that I fail and falter and dishonor or disobey you. Or as I face a temptation, oh, Lord, don't let this temptation get away from me because I, I don't want to disobey you. I want to love you. And you see, the more you love God, the more you hate sin. That's, that's how that goes. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But when you love the Father, you don't love the world and you hate sin. So here's, here's what I want you to see. We'll come back to the temptation side next week, but no, watch this. Any trial can become an occasion to sin against God. Any temptation can be, can be an occasion to test my faith and character. So a trial can become a temptation. Or uh, yeah, a trial can become a temptation. And any temptation can become a trial. Either way. And so we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, that's, that's the first side of the equation. Now, before I stop, let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you say that he is your heavenly Father? In heaven, that he's your father in heaven because you know his son, Jesus Christ. That wasn't what I preached on. I was mainly preaching to Christians this morning, but I can't let you leave here without you knowing you need Jesus Christ. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
and we are guilty before a holy God. We have broken God's laws and we are condemned in our sins. Condemned to an eternity apart from God. But God loves you. He wants to save you. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. He died for our sins on that cross. He was buried. He was raised again. Now he offers you the gift of eternal life. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. You'll never deserve it. It's not about joining a church or doing something religious. It's about repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You repent. You turn from sin and self. You turn to Jesus Christ in faith and you say, Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe you're the Son of God. You died on the cross for me. You're my only hope, the only Savior. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I trust you with my life, my death, my eternity. Save me. That's how you're saved. That's how you're born again. Have you done that? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, if you're not sure, if you have doubts, if you have questions, or if you're ready to say yes, I invite you to come in just a moment. We're going to stand up and sing our hymn of decision. I'll be right here. I invite you to come to me and say, Preacher, I need Jesus, or I got questions, or tell me more, however you want to say it. And we'd love to have a, a private conversation with you, pray with you if you'd like to, but we invite you to come. Say yes to Jesus Christ. If you do know the Lord, here's how you ought to pray. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as I go through the trials of life, I can consider it all joy knowing, God, you're at work in this trial. Whether it came from you or not, you're at work, and you can use this for my benefit and for your glory. And so, Lord, I thank you for that, and I rejoice in it. Lord, don't let me fail. Don't let it get away from me, but deliver me from evil. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord's prayer. What, what a life-changing, life-altering prayer. It's a masterpiece. And Lord, I pray that we would pray it with a whole new understanding and, and intensity and intentionality. Lord, I pray for the one who's never been saved. Help them to see their lostness. They need Jesus Christ. They must be born again. It's not about religion and things like that but it's about life and death and eternity and your son. So, Lord, bring them to the cross even now. May they say yes to Jesus Christ. Help us to live in the light of the things that we've learned today from your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.